as we, to catch up where we were in, 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 in the book of Nehemiah, now, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is aware of the need. And because he's aware of the need, and he, like Esther, he has been put in a place that perhaps he is in this place just for such a time as this. He's the cupbearer of the king. He's the one who can go to the king, and he might have the king's ear. And so he doesn't rush into the king and, and put his case before him. He prays to God. He prays and he waits and at the right time at a certain day and he knows it's the day and I don't know how, but this is the day. And then he goes into the king and the king asks him what's wrong and he prays to his God and then he says to the king and the king hears him and the king grants his request and that's not just, okay, Nehemiah, you can go. This is bigger than this. This is the decree that goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. And that starts something out of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and from verse 24, there is this prophetic timetable of what's going to happen in order to bring an end to sin. In, in order to restore everlasting righteousness to accomplish God's grand plan of redemption, to bring it to completion. That, that, that timetable of 77s of years is pointing towards the coming of Christ who is going to arrive in Jerusalem as God's Savior and Messiah exactly on time according to Daniel's prophecy. And that clock starts running. That calendar begins to turn. When King Artaxerxes gives the decree for Jerusalem as a city to be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah goes. And I don't know if Nehemiah fully knows all that is at stake, but I, I suspect that he knows. As one who lived in exile, he knows the prophecies of Daniel. He knows that there's a timetable, and he knows that there's a decree that sooner or later will be given to rebuild that city. I think that's what gives him courage. As he prays to God, that gives him courage to present this need to the king because he knows there's going to be a decree that's going to be given and maybe today's the day, and it was. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. As he travels to Jerusalem, this is not good news. Those who are the current rulers there, those who are doing their own thing there, and do not, do not want that to be interrupted. Those who have their own plan and program going on, they're not pleased that Nehemiah has come to seek the welfare of God's people. But it gets worse from there. When Nehemiah surveys the situation and then he rallies the people and the people rise up together and say, let us arise and build when they commit to the task with every full intention, then the enemy, the opposition comes out to them even stronger, begins to threaten them, begins to intimidate them, begins to suggest, what, are you going to rebel against the king? If you carry on with this, there's going to be a price to pay. And yet they carry on. In chapter 3, they move from intention to action. And we saw all across the congregation, one after another, each one in their own place, each according to skills that they had or didn't know that they had. Goldsmiths and perfumers and priests, they join into the building. 
in this part of the wall, in that part of the wall, each, each one in their own part, each one in an assigned task in a given area, and God is at work. And so, they give action to intention. And when you give action to your intention, when you not only determine, I want to follow the Lord, but you step forward into that next step of his will, and perhaps into his work, in one form or another, in one place or another, that assignment that he has for you, when you step forward, when you join in, there will be opposition. There will be trouble that you can expect. When you take action, expect opposition. Don't let it slow you down. Don't let it stop you. Don't let that resistance get in the way of your taking a next step in knowing and following the Lord. That doesn't mean you take it lightly. No, you need to take note of real danger. Don't ignore the real dangers that are there. But you need to be ready for building and for battle. Just because there's opposition that arises, just because trouble comes, just because there are threats and there are actual very real dangers of attack, that is not a reason for the building then to stop. Well, I guess it's just not time to build. No, they had been around that, that loop before. They had been in those delays. They had been caught in that, in that circle. And they're not going back there again. No, we're going forward this time. Even in the midst of opposition. Even though enemies will come against us and try to stop us from the work that God has given, they determined we are going to continue in the work that God himself has laid into our hands. We're going to be ready for building and battle. That's why I've called Nehemiah chapter 4 the trumpet and the trowel. The trowel, that's, that's for laying brick. That's for, that's for slapping on some mortar and hand me another brick and, and, and the wall goes up piece by piece. But even in the midst, they are ready for battle. They are ready for a trumpet call to rally together in one place wherever attacks may come. And they have weapons ready. They have swords on their sides. They have spear in hand and they are ready to fight for one another in the midst of the building, in the midst of the work that God has called them to. When you take action, you can expect opposition. That's what we see in the, in the first six verses of Nehemiah chapter 4. So I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're using the church Bible in front of you, you'll find us on page 400. Nehemiah chapter 4, let me read the first six verses. Now when Sanballat the Samaritan heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. In fact, he was greatly enraged. They don't just intend, they're actually doing it. What do they think they're doing? He jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So what, what Sambala seems to have done, he seems to have brought others with him. Let's go see what they think they're doing in Jerusalem. And they stand there outside the wall, and they're looking at the activity. They're seeing bricks put in place. They're seeing the construction happening. The building is going forward. And they stand there with, with these various officials gathered with them, and they begin to mock. They begin to jeer. They begin to intimidate. They begin to insult what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Are they going to restore? There's that, there's that insinuation again that you're doing this for you. You're doing this so you can rebel against the king of Persia. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? What's, what's going on there? Will they sacrifice? It's, it's as if, well, they can't do it for themselves. They could never accomplish this. So, so what, are they just going to pray and God's going to build the wall for them? 
They're just going to pray this wall up? Is that what they think they're going to do? If they'll offer their sacrifices, their God's going to put these stones in place for them? That's ridiculous. What do they think they're doing? Are they going to finish it up in a day? They have no idea how long and how big of a project this is. They're never going to stick to it. They don't have the ability to see it all the way through. Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burned and burned stones at that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, he says, Yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You know what Tobiah is saying? Have you ever played that game? where you're going to build a tower so that the, um, your kiddos or your grandkids can then knock it down. And you're trying to build it as high as you can, and they're just going to get a swipe in there, and, and it's going to topple. Or pretty soon you build it tall enough, and they're helping you put bricks, and they put a brick on, and it's starting to sway, and it wavers, and pretty soon it topples. You've done that before? Knock it all down, and okay, let's build it again. That's what Tobiah is saying. You can... You, you got a children's game going on here. This thing is never going to last. Why bother giving yourself to something that can't stand? It won't last. It's not really going to matter. You're just playing games here. Even if a fox goes up against it, he would break down their stone wall. And so here's Nehemiah's response. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work when they begin building, there was opposition. First, it, it takes this form of, of mocking and insults and insua- insinuations and verbal attacks. They seek to dishearten God's people, even while rallying opposition against them. Nehemiah realizes that in despising the people, in despising the builders, they are despising God himself. And that's what he puts back on. He said, he said, God, they're attacking us. But in attacking us, they're attacking you. Now, Nehemiah has good precedent for this. It's the same approach Hezekiah took when the Assyrians came and they surrounded Jerusalem. And, and their general stands there boldly saying in the hearing of all the people who were, who were standing on the ramparts of the wall guarding the city. He says in Hebrew, or in the hearing of all of them so that they can understand, don't let Hezekiah lie to you and tell you that your God is going to protect you from the Assyrian king. Because how is your God any different, he said, than any of the other gods of all the other peoples that the Assyrian king has conquered. Don't listen to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah takes this letter that the general wrote that said these same things, and he takes that letter and he takes it to the temple, and he said, God, this was delivered to me, but I think this was really meant for you. They're they're mocking. They're insults. They're accusations. They're not against us, God. They're actually against you. And he lays it out before the Lord in the temple. He says, God, you've got mail. And the Lord answers. The Lord doesn't expect Hezekiah to deal with the Assyrian threat. The Lord himself fights for them. And the Assyrian army that surrounds Jerusalem is wiped out. 
The next day, 186,000 wake up dead. God himself fights his battles. And that's what Nehemiah is then praying for here. God, they're not against us, they're against you. Our Lord Jesus said, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. Likewise, whoever rejects the one he sends is not, he says, they're going to reject you, but it's not because they reject you, it's not that they hate you, they hate you because they first hated me, Jesus said. So it's really about him. It's really about the Lord. Sanballat's rage here is because he is not against Nehemiah. He is not against the people. He's not against Jerusalem per se. He's against God's redemptive purposes. He's actually against God's restoration. And the restoration to God being rightly worshipped, not only by his people Israel, but also by all nations. Nehemiah's prayer trusts himself to God and he trusts God for righteous judgment for those who oppose him. God's will cannot be opposed with impunity. God himself will answer. Nehemiah's prayer sounds a little harsh, except that now we see at the end of the verse that God's being mocked openly in front of God's people. And this leader needs to take a stand. He does so, he reminds the people that not only are they builders, but they are soldiers. Not only are they working in electronics, but they are in the military. They are called to battle. They face not merely a Samaritan enemy, but a spiritual enemy, and the battle is the Lord's. That's the purpose of Nehemiah's prayer. In this way, the people are aware it's a spiritual battle. This strengthened the people, and they had a mind to work. When you take action, when you step forward, when you take another step in committing yourself to participate in God's purposes, to build up his church, to care for the needs of one another, to build within the body of Christ, to to help others to know and to follow Jesus. When you commit yourself to that, you can expect opposition. It may come like it does here. You can expect to be mocked by others. You can expect to be insulted. You can expect the insinuations, the hinted attacks against you and even your abilities. You're going to be called intolerant, haters, anti-science, naive, that you simply follow oppressive superstitions that you need to free yourself from. How do we respond to that? Well, there's things we can learn from Nehemiah. There's things that we, we can be reminded of other places as well. But first of all, don't think that you need to defend God. The battle is the Lord, and the Lord is able to defend himself. Though the nations rage, the Lord in heaven laughs. He is not afraid of them. He is not perplexed by them. He is not stymied nor stopped. Don't give mockery what it hungers for. They they push your buttons because they want a reaction. Don't give them that reaction. Give them a reaction of mercy. Give them a reaction of love. Give them a reaction of kindness. Give them a reaction of, as Paul says, Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them rather than curse them. Jesus himself told us to turn the other cheek. If they require this, give them more. Surprise them with kindness. And by doing kindness and mercy 
to them, Paul says, you will, you will pour coals of fire upon their heads. And the image there is, is if you're up above, the enemy is attacking the city and you're pouring down hot coals or hot oil or something down upon the heads of the enemy. But here it's, it's in their conscience that the love of Christ shown to those who oppose him shows them something in their hearts and in their heads Show them something different. Show them something different by living what you believe. Know what you believe. Know how to explain, to express what you believe. But, you know, more people are persuaded by actions than by arguments. People are persuaded by an example. Let your sincerity be seen. Paul says, do good to all men, especially to those who have the household of faith. Yeah, we commit ourselves to one another. We will sacrifice for the sake of one another. We will bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes. But Paul says do good to all men, especially God's own family. And Peter says that when they see your good works, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. When God calls them to account, they will have to say, yes, I saw something of you in them. They showed me something of your love. They showed me something of your mercy. I brought them insults and they gave me back kindness. I saw your mercy. Will they sacrifice? Remember that taunt? Well, are they going to sacrifice? Will they sacrifice? Will we sacrifice? What will we give for God's purposes? What will, what will we commit for the cause of the gospel? Will we sacrifice something? You know, today there is very little which people believe in very much. There's very little that people believe very strongly in. There's a lot of things that we'll embrace, and yet they're fleeting. And when the fad moves on, so do the masses. There's very little that we believe in very much. We are a culture of shallow convictions. Show them something worth believing in. Show them something that you really do believe in. Commit that Jesus did, in fact, lay down his life. And he calls me, then, to lay down my life in following him. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him also take up his cross. That we also would join in sacrifice. We will give what we could enjoy. We will, we will take our time that could be our own and we'll use it for the sake of another. We'll take our, our, our treasure that we could spend on our own enjoyment and we will use that for something that is not temporary but eternal. What will we sacrifice to show others something that's worth really believing in? Finally, in the midst of mocking, don't, don't retreat to hide among the like-minded. Now, be careful what I'm saying here. We need to gather in retreat. By retreat, I don't mean running away. I mean a, a withdrawal together for strengthening and for building up. But Christianity has always been a missionary faith. When the world is against it, Christianity turned the world upside down. 
They didn't withdraw from the world. They didn't run away from it. So let our gathered worship together. Let learning and BP Academy and classes and Awana together in gathering within your small group, being part of a discipleship group and developing habits and disciplines of feeding yourself in God's God's word and hearing from him. Let these be the places where you retreat to to strengthen yourself, to strengthen others, to be further strengthened so that you can again go into the world in peace and share the gospel with those around us. When you take action, expect opposition. When you join in the glorious work that God is doing, when you take part in the part he's given you in his, in his grand redemptive purposes that stretches through history, and you say, I'm in. I'm part of that. You roll up your sleeves and you join in the building, you can expect opposition. It's not always going to be applauded. And in the midst of that opposition, don't be intimidated by it. And yet at the same time, as you go then back into the world, as you, as, you, as you face up that opposition, don't ignore the real dangers that exist. There are dangers when opposition comes. Verses 7 to 9 kind of give us a summary of that. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites... Oh, wait a minute, there's some new enemies here we need to talk about. Sambalat, those are the Samaritans, those are, those are to the north of Jerusalem. Tobiah and the Ammonites, those are to the east of Jerusalem. And the, the Arabs, those are down south, that's the Nabataeans, the Edomites. Um, and then the Ashdodites, these are the remnants of the Philistines to the west. So they are surrounded on every side. Attack can come from any direction. And when all of these from all sides heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, those openings in the walls were beginning to be built up and closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard of protection against them day and night. We prayed to our God. And then we didn't worry about it. That's not what it says. We prayed to our God and we took prudent steps. We prayed to our God and we set a guard. That's what it says. That's a summary statement. What did that look like more? What is actually some of the tensions that are developing in the midst of this opposition to the building that God has called them to? In verse 10 In Judah, it was said, so in the surrounding area, among the Israelites, remember, Israelites are living in their various towns and villages, and they're sending people to go to Jerusalem to help in the building. They're sending sons, they're sending brothers, they're sending husbands, go into the city. And many of those are also then returning home at night if they're only living a short distance from Jerusalem. There there are not very many people actually living in Jerusalem yet at this time. It's not a safe place to live. There are no walls. And so, it's being spread all through Jerusalem. It's being said, the strength of those who who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And those things are true. Those things are real. It's starting to spread among the people. Our strength is failing. We're tired. By ourselves, we're not going to be able to do it. 
There's too much work to do. Now they're halfway done at this time. Is the, is the, is the glass half full or is it half empty? The second half of the work is actually going to be harder than the first half, simply because now you've got to lift lift those stones and blocks higher up on the wall to put them in place. And yet, the push to get this far so fast has worn us out. We're tired. We can't do it. We can't keep up this pace. Don't over-spiritualize that. When they say we cannot do this by ourselves, don't say, but you're not by yourselves. Don't worry. God is with you, so keep going. They need more help with skin on, is what they need. They need more people joining into the work. And yet at the same time, look what else is going on here. In verse 11, the enemies are saying, we, they will not know it or see it till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. From whatever direction or maybe all sides at once, they are going to come and attack Jerusalem and they're going to shut this thing down. So verse 12, at that time, the Israelites who lived near them came from all directions and they said to us ten times, they said to us over and over and over and over again. It began to wear us down. They said it so many times, you must return to us. What's going on here? Well, those families who live out in the outlying areas, who see the very real threat as the opponents are beginning to rally and beginning to make plans of attacking Jerusalem. They know that Jerusalem is not a safe place to be. They know that Jerusalem is a dangerous place. They know that, that, that if their son, if their brother, if their husband stays there, they might also be killed when this attack comes. And so what do they do? They send somebody to family, they send someone from the family to go to Jerusalem and grab hold of that guy and say, hey man, it's time to come home. It's not safe here. And so there's a danger of peeling even more workers away from the work at a time when they're tired, they're worn down, they need more help if they're going to finish. What does Nehemiah do? Look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts, so they're, they're calling people to go away, and so this is what Nehemiah does, verse 13. In the lowest parts of the space behind the walls, in open places, I stationed the people by their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked ar- and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Nehemiah announces it's bring your family to build day. Instead of you going home to your family and withdrawing from the work, bring your family here. We need the help. Bring them in with you. Have them here and they will be extra hands at the work and extra eyes on the watch. And we will increase the population within the city. We'll be a stronger city to defend ourselves together and the enemies will not be able to attack us. In fact, they won't even dare. Nehemiah, instead of letting people slip away in discouragement and fear, he grabs hold of them and he says, and let's gather together here. Let's gather together. Rather than peeling away, rather than having certain ones sent from their families to do the work, bring your family and let's build together. There is nothing, I think, more important in a Christian family today There is no better discipleship than finding ways to be in God's work together. Finding ways where you as a family can serve. And I've heard some wonderful ways how families do this. 
seeing a need, seeing a need on a street corner, a man with a sign asking for help. And so one of our families decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go together as a family. We're going to find out how can we help as a family. What could we do for a sheltering ministry like Open House Ministries? Bringing family together into this work that young ones and older ones see the need and are able to do something together in meeting it. Each one of us have a part, and to join in together is strengthening. The families are deployed together behind the walls, lower spots, and open gates so the enemy can see that they're well prepared. They're not afraid. He reminds them as well. Remember the Lord. Remember what God has done. Remember that God called us here. Remember that God set his name upon this city. God has commissioned us to this task and his purpose. And it is the Lord our God who will fight for us. That God is working. Remember Nehemiah earlier says, I told them how the good hand of God is upon us. Look what God has already done. Look how God has already led. Look how God has already provided. Let's continue to build. Don't grow weary in well-doing, the scripture says. In due season, you will reap if you don't lose heart. What does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants you to lose heart. And they will raise all kinds of things against you. They will remind you how you don't measure up. They will remind you of things you've done in the past. They will bring your sin and drag it again before your eyes. And you are going to need to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who died for you. Remember the Lord who loves you. Remember the Lord who forgives your sin and your iniquities. He remembers no more. It is done. It is finished. Remember that although you cannot, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Remember that though I may not have the ability and the strength in my own hands, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember the Lord. That God is working through us and for us. This is Nehemiah's version of Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on then the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says we're not ignorant of his schemes. We know that he will mock. We know that he will ridicule. We know that he will belittle. We know that he will contest. We know that he will argue. We know that he will tempt and distract. And when you are tired is when you're most vulnerable. Don't ever spiritualize that. Don't say, oh, don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season, you're going to reap. You know, God is with you. It's all going to be okay. Maybe it won't. Maybe the enemy's attacks will grow severe and there will be suffering along the way. And yet, God has called us. God will strengthen us. And God has chosen to do his work, to bear his his fruit through the body of Christ, his church. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Nehemiah says. And be ready for building and for battle. These closing verses from verse 15 and, and onward, I want to read through and just make a few comments along the way. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and 
and that God had frustrated their plan. You see, by joining in together, by adding families into the work rather than withdrawing to safety, it had frustrated their plans. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. They had both a shovel and a sword. They held both a trumpet and a trowel. They were in the midst of the work, but they were ready for battle. They were prepared. They knew the enemy could come at any time. They expected the enemy attacked, and they were on watch for it. Don't get so entangled in busyness that you're no longer watching and seeing what the Lord is doing and aware of the spiritual battle that you're in the midst of. Because when we're no longer aware that this is a spiritual battle that we're in, when we think that this is merely about what I do for myself with my abilities and my strengths, my eyes are on me. My eyes are no longer on the Lord. I didn't need a battle dress uniform to hide in a classroom, to not be seen by the enemy there. No, in fact, that uniform made me stand out all the more against that bright white background. Maybe they should have given me a white uniform if they wanted me to hide. But the uniform was to remind all of us we weren't just in a classroom. We were not just learning electronics. That we were there on a bigger mission to use different skills and abilities, and those ranged all across the Air Force. It's very few in the Air Force that actually fly planes. Most do other things. From finance, to administration, to electronics, to mechanics, to civil engineering and building, all kinds of different skills. But all of those things are part of a bigger mission of maintaining a powerful threat against those who might attack and steal God-given liberties. It was good that I remembered that though I taught electronics, although I, I measured with my multimeter that I was a soldier, I was in a battle and ready to be at a moment's deployment. Each one in his own work, continue in your part in God's work. The leaders, Nehemiah's own servants, those who reported to him, they are ready to lead in the building, but they are also on watch. They are ready with the resources that those who are, others are going to need if they're going to fight in this battle, if they're going to be properly equipped. Be ready, verses 17 and 18, for a battle is at hand. Those who are carrying burdens are going to carry stones with one hand, and they're going to, they're going to carry a sword or a spear or, or a bow in the other. They have a weapon in hand. They are ready, for, ready in case an attack should come. Have you put on the armor of God, as described in Ephesians Chapter 6, especially are you ready with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Are you ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you? That's why we need to give ourselves and the various opportunities from those who are younger to those who are older to build ourselves up in the Word of God. Paul, Paul gave those parting words to the Ephesian church. One of, I think, Paul's favorite churches. You can almost say God, God, God had a special spot for this church. He sent Paul there. 
He sent Timothy there. He sent John the apostle there. And this is a church. This is a church that Paul gives them this farewell. He says, I commit you to God and to the word of God's grace. And that word of God's grace is able to build you up. And that's what we're in the midst of. We're in the midst of building up one another and others to know and to follow Jesus. And it's a good work we've been given. And this good work, if you step into it, it's going to be opposed. It's going to be opposed. Be ready for that. Be ready with others. Look at verse 21 and 22. We labored at work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that there may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. When the opposition comes, in the midst of a battle, in this work that God has given us together, don't self-isolate. You are not on your own. The Lord is with you. You are not on your own. You are part of God's family. You are part of his people. You belong to him and with his own. And it's there that we're strengthened together. It's there that we watch out for one another. It's together, gathered together, engaged in one another's life. It's there that we strengthen one another and protect one another from the enemy's attack. Even Nehemiah joined in with the people. They slept ready. You know, in the midst of this building, Nehemiah is an important guy. Nehemiah is the governor. Nehemiah, Nehemiah knows what it's like to live in a plushy palace. But Nehemiah is not putting on his satin pajamas at night. He's not. He's keeping his boots on. He's sleeping in his battle dress uniform. He's sleeping as well with his sword at his side, weapons at the ready, so that if there's a trumpet call, if there's a need to rally around one another, in, the, in these verses he says, wherever you are on the wall, we're spread out here and there and all around the city, but wherever you hear the blast of the trumpet, rally together there. We do not stand alone. No, it's the Lord who fights for you. Rally together there, he said, and the Lord will fight for us together, strengthening one another. If you're going to step into God's grand work, you can expect opposition. Don't ignore the real dangers of it. But be ready for both building and battle in the strength of the Lord. Together, in the body of Christ, as the Lord himself empowers us, strengthens us, fights for us. I want to turn back to Ephesians chapter 6 in closing and just remind you of that passage one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And this finally is not just tacked on at the end of the book of Ephesians. It's the, it's the whole point. Ultimately, read it that way. Instead of finally, read it as ultimately. 
All of what we've been saying is for this. Ultimately, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. That person that bugs you, that person that taunts you, that person that mocks you, they are not your enemy. They are one who also needs the grace of God which you know. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, your security in Christ and his death for you, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit." With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints as we serve, as we know, as we follow him together. I don't know what kind of opposition you're going to face. I don't know what fears lurk. I don't know what difficulties you are currently trekking through. I don't know what doubts arise within your heart, but I know that the enemy will not only cause difficulties in your way, but he will whisper his lies into your head and your heart. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Take up that sword of the Spirit. Be strengthened in the word of God's grace. Feed your soul on it. And build up one another. Let's do this together. Building up one another to know and to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not in this battle on our own. That the battle is indeed the Lord's. That we do not wage it, we do not go forward, we do not serve in our own strength and merely by our own abilities. But Father, you are pleased to use us. And you who have given us life by your Spirit, you will give us strength for this day that is ahead of us. You will give us your grace for what you have called us to. Lord, that is our confidence. And so we, Lord, remember you. Lord, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of trials, in the midst of testings, in the midst of angry attacks against us, Lord, we will not fear. We will trust you to uphold us and to accomplish your good and your grace through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.